And I have the privilege and responsibility today to preach God's word to you and to do so briefly because it is a special day in which we are going to uh, ordain and install um, four new elders and a deacon after the sermon. And so because of that, that makes our service a little bit longer. And so I'm going to try to be brief. Um, We'll see how that goes. I don't know if you are sports fans or not. I was a gym junkie, a gym rat growing up, and so I kind of keep track of sports, though not as much as I used to. But one thing did jump out at me recently, just a month or so ago, during the NBA Finals, when the, the Bucks had just tied the series, um, and what made headlines was really rather interesting. Um, after just tying the series, the headlines read, Tempted by Ego and pride, Giannis Antetokounmpo has chosen humility. Now Giannis had said this in an interview that prompted this headline. He said, from my experience when I think about like, oh yeah, I did this, I'm so great, usually the next day, the next few days, you're going to play terrible. He goes on and he says, I figured out a mindset to have that when you that when you face, sorry, when you focus on the past, you're focusing on your ego. And if I focus on the future, it's my pride. If I think, yeah, next game I do this and this and I'm going to dominate, that's my pride talking. And so what I try to do, he said, is focus on the moment in the present. That's humility. End quote. And I thought that was striking an athlete at the top of his game, instead of saying, yeah, it's all about me, to say, you know what's important? It's humility. I wish it would be great if our country could rediscover humility. The apostle Peter knew it and thought it was important for, in fact, not just important, but foundational to all Christians and foundational to leadership in the church. So follow along with me, if you will, from 1 Peter Chapter 5, I'm going to read the first seven verses. They'll be on the screen. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will bless the reading of your word, which is as true today as it was thousands of years ago. It is your word. It does not change. You do not change. So use it to lead us, to guide us, to empower us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So to be a Christian today, in today's world, when it's unfashionable to be a Christian, requires strength, and it requires a strength that is not built on ego, nor based on pride, but is grounded in humility. My proposition to you today is simply this, that 
God, as Peter says, God gives grace to the humble, so clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. As we wrap up this sermon series we've been doing through the summer called One Another, the Movement of Biblical Community, this is what we're landing on today to conclude it. Humility. Humility toward one another. And we're doing that even as we install leaders because it's important. There's really just two points I want to make to you today. And the first is this, that humility is critical to effective leadership. And the second is humility is critical for every follower of Christ. So first, humility is critical to, the, to effective leadership. Peter is clearly writing and speaking to the leaders in the local church here. It's quite clear from the language. Let me just highlight a few of those things in case you missed it. In verse 1, he addresses to the elders, right? I exhort the elders. What you may not know is that the word in Greek, elder, is the word presbuteros. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it should, because it's the word for which we get the denomination that we're called, Presbyterian. So to be Presbyterian means to be a church that is led and governed by elders. So that's where that comes from. And so um, it's the elders that he is addressing. However, it's not only an independent local church of elders. We are a connected church, sharing ministry with other, other elders and other churches. Peter makes this clear even when he exhorts them and says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. That was a statement of humility in itself. He's Peter, a disciple of Christ, the apostle Peter, Right? But he says, as a fellow elder. And so, see, it's this eldership, the shared eldership uh, of ministering to the church in this way. And so, while elder does refer to leaders in the church and, and to an office in the church, we could say, Peter is also describing some functions of elders here. And there's two functions that I want to highlight that come out of verse 2. Um, the first is, he says, to exercise oversight. See that in verse 2. That word, again, sorry, I got something in my eye there. That word, again, oversight, different than the word elder, comes from a different word. The Greek word behind it is episcopeo. Now, if that sounds familiar, that's where the Episcopalians get their name for their denomination, right? Because it's about oversight and structure and order. And so what you see here is that that's important, right? What Peter is saying is that exercising oversight, watching over, guiding, protecting, defending, that's an important function of leadership in the church, an important function of what the elders are to do. But not only does he say that, he says that, uh, he says that they are to shepherd, be shepherds of God's flock. The word shepherd in Greek can't help you. But in Latin, I can. So the word shepherd is just a word um, that is used for shepherding. But in, in Latin... The, the word for pastor is derived from the word shepherd, to pasture, to lead to pasture. To lead to pasture, to lead the flock to feed on Jesus. And that's what pastoring is. It's shepherding. It's going with the flock, with the sheep, where they are, and leading them to where they need to be. Walking alongside them, leading out in front of them, guiding them, pointing them in the right direction. And that means rather than being lofty or distant as elders or deacons or leaders in the church, our job is to come alongside you and lead you to pasture where you feed on Jesus. Now notice how Peter says all this, but then requires humility in doing it. Now you say, how does he require humility in doing it? We see this in verses 2 and 3. Notice these statements. These, these, uh, can you put verses 2 and 3 on the screen for me? 
Notice these statements. So he says, shepherd the flock, right? Exercising oversight. Now notice this, this kind of run-on sentence here. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Okay, so if you're doing it willingly, not being um, forced to do it, it's going to require some humility because you're stepping into a role of service. The next one there is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Okay, so you're not doing this for, for any kind of shameful gain to, to make money off of it, to profit at it in a way, to doing it for position or fame or recognition. No, but eagerly to serve the Lord and serve his people. Uh, not domineering, but by being examples, right, to the flock. So not domineering, not not lording over others, not abusing power, not dictatorial, but leading by example and saying, yes, come, follow us as we follow Jesus. That's the kind of leadership Peter is pointing to. In other words, becoming a leader in the church is not about you. It's about Jesus. And it's about pointing people to Jesus. And it requires humility to do so. Otherwise, your focus can drift and you lose sight of the, the object, Jesus, and you focus on other things. But let me move on to my second point. That is, humili- humility is critical for every follower of Christ. We see this in verse 5, where he starts to address, and he says, Now to the younger among you, and this is not just age, but younger in faith, and he says, You are to be subject to your elders. Oh, man. Like, I'm telling you, one of the hardest things to preach about in the American church is submission, humility, and subjection because it is anti-American. It is not the American way. It is not the way we do things. Don't you know that we are a free country, a free people of individual expressives? I mean, have you seen the Virginia state flag? Lady Liberty has her foot on the king's neck crushing it because sick, simper, tyrannous, thus always to tyrants. No, we will be free, subject to no one. And Peter says, be subject to your elders. What? Really? Are you willing to listen when you think the elders are old school or out of touch? Or when they make a decision related to COVID things that you don't agree with? Those are hard decisions, let me tell you with a lot of prayer and a lot of wrestling back and forth. Do you recognize their wisdom that you need to learn from them? Peter warns us in verse 8, we didn't get to this part in the passage, trying to be brief today, but in verse 8 he says, be sober-minded and do not be deceived by the devil. One question we might ask ourselves is, how do we get deceived by the devil? And we have a whole other sermon on this, but here's just a couple of ways I can think of is, if you think you're always right. Now, this is a temptation for elders and pastors. Like, we study the Bible. We know, like, well, I know it. I think I'm right. Like, we have to have a posture of humility. Like, maybe I am wrong. I need to go back to the Bible and look at what it says. If you have this posture, even not just related to leading a church, but just as being a follower of Jesus, and you think, man, I'm always right, you kind of put yourself on an intellectual pedestal, thinking, yeah, I got it, I'm right. What that means is everybody else is wrong or below you and they must bow before the pedestal of your knowledge. That's not a character trait of humility. 
thinking you get to determine right and wrong. Well, I'll decide for myself what is right and wrong. That's what we do as individual Americans. We get to decide what is right and wrong. You know, that's, that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. It's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They chose for themselves what was right and wrong instead of listening to the voice of God. Our culture is screaming at us, screaming at you to conform, to conform to the ideas of greed and money, to the ideas of sexuality and gender, to the ideas of authority and cancellation, to, to, and go on and on and on. But the culture puts tremendous pressure and says, this is what you must be or believe. And one of the questions we have to repeatedly ask ourselves is, what does God say? What is his voice? What does he say I must believe and be and do? Peter reminds us, he said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If, if you cannot be subject to a leader, to someone in authority, to a teacher, to a police officer, to a coach, to a boss, to a governor, how will you be subject to God who's in authority? Right? I mean, if the, if the thing is, no, I will be free and always make my own decisions, where in your life are you learning to be subject to authority? By the way, kids, this is why your parents tell you to obey them. They are instilling in you that there is such a thing as authority and that it is important. Right? Because you have to learn to respect that. And if you think you don't as you're going through your life and education, wait till you get in the working world because it works differently there. And you will respect authority or you won't have a job. Respecting authority is important, but it's not important just simply for human relationships, though it certainly is. It's important because it's learning to submit to God. And when, you, when Peter is saying, be subject to your elders, he's not saying your elders or your deacons are God. He is not saying that your elders or your deacons are perfect, nor that they might even be smarter than you or even, even more holy in certain areas of life. They may still struggle in areas of life just like you do. What he is saying is be subject to them Because they have to know that they have to be humble. That they need Jesus every bit as much as you do. That I need Jesus every bit as much as you do. And he's saying be subject to them and listen to them because they're going to point you to Jesus. They're going to shepherd you and take you to pasture to see Jesus. So in verse 6, Peter says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God because he is powerful, right? And he will exalt you. Isn't that interesting? The Bible's always kind of backwards. Like in our culture, you know, exalt yourself, don't do humility. And Peter says, humble yourself and then you'll be exalted, right? In other words, he's saying, strive for glory now and get it for a little while, but strive for humility now and you'll get the unfading crown of glory forever. So how do we humble ourselves under his mighty hand in verses 6 and 7 here? Notice this. This is really interesting to me, the way Peter does this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. But notice what he says here. This is continuing. How are you to do that? Casting all your anxieties on him. One of the ways we humble ourselves is casting all of our anxieties on him. You demonstrate humility in doing so. You're not denying anxiety as a reality 
but you're casting your anxiety onto God. You're turning it over to Him, right? Because your anxiety comes, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to work. Well, guess what? God's omniscient. He knows all things. Well, I'm just not sure if I have the power or the ability to make this happen. Well, guess what? God's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, and he's got the power to do it. And so you take all your anxiety, and you say, okay, God, here's my anxiety. And it's humbling, and it's casting on him because he's the one who can help you. He's powerful. He's got the mighty hand who delivered people across the sea out of Egypt. But notice what that verse says at the very end. Will you put verse 7 back up there, verses 6 and 7 again? How does it end? You're to do this. Cast your anxiety anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Not just because he's powerful. He's the one who cares for you. When you walk through the doors of this church and you come in that main part there, above those doors is a verse from Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight, and it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What we are trying to do for one another as members and your leaders, your elders and deacons, is point people to Jesus. As Peter said, we're pointing you to the chief shepherd. And that means even as we come together to worship, we're not pointing you simply to God's word and say, hey, this is the thing, make sure you look at this and worship this. We're not saying, hey, the cross is the main thing, make sure you got that. We're not saying that the people are the main thing. We are saying that God himself is the main thing, the only thing to be worshipped on heaven above or earth below. Now, his word is vitally important because it reveals the character of God. If we were to look at the cross, it might remind us of Jesus and his character. But right, but the, the thing we worship is God himself, the person. And so when you walk through these doors, the reason we put that on there is because Jesus is revealing the very character of God in the flesh. And he says that he comes to those who are weary and burdened and will give them rest. Will you put that back on the screen for me again, Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 there? Um, and go to verse 29. Notice what it says next. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. To all you who are labor, laboring and heavy laden, laboring, striving after trying to get your life in order and put together so it's fixed, to those who are heavy laden and worn down by the burdens of life and saying, I can't do it and I've failed yet again, to those who can't figure it out, to those who have failed, Jesus is saying, you know what? Come to me. Because I'm the only one that can truly give you rest for your soul. And he says he can do so because he is gentle and lowly in heart. The word lowly is the word we get humility from. Because I am gentle and I am humble toward you. Jesus is saying he's not easily exasperated. He's not quick to snap off into a rage. He's not one who is harshly reactionary. He's gentle and accessible, slow to anger and abounding in love. And it's why Brian Fletcher, your pastor, has given you this book. He's got bunches of them available because the publisher has made them available to our church so that you can do them in small groups, gentle and lowly. It's fantastic. I wish I could just start reading it to you right now, but I don't have time. You should check it out. Get in a small group and read it together. 
I need to wrap up here because I'm supposed to be brief. Um, there was a minister and a church leader named Alexander White, lived some time ago, told the story of an older Christian in his congregation who was nearly destroyed by guilt and shame. And they had a church meeting, and afterward this older man lingered. Lingered in idle talk, small talk with people, and kind of before things were ending, he said in jest, Now, Dr. White, what word of comfort do you have to offer for an old sinner like me? Beneath the pasted-on smile, Dr. White perceived the man's hurt, his pain, his agony. The man was old in the faith, but did not really grasp the magnificent, wonderful mercy of God. And so Dr. White walked across the room toward him, not knowing exactly what he would say, took his hand and quoted from the prophet Micah chapter 7 verse 18 and says, Our God will delight to show mercy. Not much else was said between the two. The next day a note came from the older man to Dr. White and he wrote him these words. Those words you quoted were comfort to my soul. I will never doubt my God again. When Satan comes to convince me that I am unworthy of the mercy of God, I will say, you are right, and you don't know the half of it. But I have to deal with the one who delights to show mercy. Jesus is the one who commands us to be humble, whether church elders, deacons, or members. He's the one who was humble himself, who took on the form of a lowly servant, human flesh, that we would know the love of God. And in the end, that's all we've got to stand on, right, is the mercy of God. It's humbling and exalting. So let's clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Father in heaven, I pray that you will help us to believe these words of yours that are true. I pray that you will sink them deeply into our hearts, that they would inform our minds, shape our passions and emotions, and guide our feet in the ways in which we walk. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.